Welcome everyone to Rules of the Arena episode 38. This episode is made possible by Blind Ninja Studios where you can find this show and others such as Department of Defense, Homebrew Bound, Soundwave, Legends of Low Post, and my new show called Story No Story Left Behind. This episode is also brought to you by Duck Hill Workshop, a small-scale sawmill and builders of fine furniture. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram at Duck Hill Workshop. And don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel where you can watch episodes of Workshop Wednesday. We are also brought to you by Northwest Gutters. They install heavy-gauge seamless gutters on your home, business, and even barns. They leave, even offer a leaf-free gutter cover installation, leaving you with virtually no maintenance gutter cover that will keep leaves and debris out and water in. Serving the north, northwestern Wisconsin and Minnesota, call or text Northwest Gutters today for your pre-estimate. 715-416-0471. Folks, this was a great episode. This was recorded back on October 4th. I know I'm a little bit behind the ball, but we sat down with Sean James on his tour, the Dark and the Light tour at the Ice House in Minneapolis Green Room. We really enjoyed sitting down talking with him. I hope you do do as well. This is a single off his new album called Curse of the Fold. Take it is enemies lie. 
It's on sale. It's on sale. Welcome everyone to Rose Arena episode 38. This is this week we're not in the White Ranger Studios, we're actually in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so it's down with American Singer, songwriter Sean James, currently on the Dark and Light Tour. Thanks, Sean, for taking time out of your day to be on the show. How are you doing? How's the tour going so far? I'm good. The tour is phenomenal. Best crowds we've ever had. Thank you guys for having me on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. So in 2012, you released your first album, titled Shadows. Uh, since then, you've also released another four solo albums, five albums with the Shapeshifters, one live album, your EP, The Madrid Sessions. And you've done a cover of Macy Gray's I Try for the Grammy. Man, when you put it that way, it seems like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And 200 shows in a year. I imagine it didn't start off like that right away. No. Yeah, it started... uh, In 2013, we started touring. So Shadows came out at the end of 2012. And... uh, I think we started about 100 days a year and it just kept escalating from there. And did you ever think that your career was going to be this successful? No. That's the thing. That's the thing. You know, I never thought in a million years I would be able to do this in this way. And um, I think that's the difference with a lot of musicians these days. They, they kind of have like the hope and dream of being a star or something. For me, it was therapy, it was release music, and I never thought I'd be able to tour around doing all this and affecting other people through it. So, uh, no, no, I did not ever think it would be like this. <laughs> Look back up a, a little ways. Yeah. How old were you when you first started playing an instrument or started singing? Uh, singing, I've, I've been singing my whole life. Um, I say I came to consciousness doing it because I don't remember not singing. You know what I mean? Uh, but instrument-wise, the first instrument I played was trumpet in uh, junior high. And I didn't touch a guitar until I was 16. And even then, it was my dad's guitar, his old classical, and he never played it ever. And so the neck was massive and the strings were hanging off. And it was so hard for me to play that I gave up. And I didn't touch guitar, really learn guitar until I was in my 20s. Did you start taking, for trumpet at least, or even guitar, did you start off with formal training, or did, were you self-taught? Uh, trumpet, yeah, formal training. It was just band in school, um, but the singing was always a choir, and then uh, choir director put me in opera, and then I was singing in like the gospel churches I grew up around in Chicago, so it's a weird classical slash off-the-cuff mixture of musical upbringing. And were you inspired to start, or was it one of these, well, I have to fill in a block during my during my school I schedule? I was forced to play trumpet. <laughs> I was forced to play trumpet by my parents. Um, I never really wanted to, but, you know, it taught me a lot about reading music and stuff like that that I never had before. So that was cool, and eventually I learned to like it. But my singing was always, you know, that was always the... Uh, a natural inclination. What were you listening to that got you started? At that time, what were you listening to? A lot of gospel music, to be honest. Like, I grew up very, um, my parents were strict Pentecostal, so I wasn't allowed to listen to a lot of music. So it was like church music, gospel music, gospel choirs, stuff like that. Um, and then off of that, I got into blues because the gospel is pretty closely related to blues. I got into Sun House, Robert Johnson, stuff like that. And then in high school, I quit all the other stuff and I got into metal. <laughs> I needed something different. So, so when you, aside from high school band, when yeah. did you start to think that you wanted to start playing in front of an audience? Um, it never was a thought about playing in front of an audience. I think it just kind of slowly developed into that. Uh, with the first band in high school I was in, it was kind of like a rock and roll, punk rock band, and I didn't play any instruments, I just sang, it was my first foray into doing lyrics to other people's music, so, I don't know, It's um, it was just opportunity and the natural progression to try it out, but it was never a goal to be on the stage, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like my, my focus. Do you remember your first show? <laughs> I think I do, I think it was in a church, like, it was, uh, not during a church service, but it was like in their event or activity or yeah, something like that. And uh, I don't remember it very well. But <laughs> if like I'm not mistaken, stuff like that. It's always like, oh, here's a here's a metal show or a punk show at like a church's event. Uh, <laughs> yeah, back in the day, Saturday night, yeah, yeah, yeah man, that's where I gotta go. Yeah, it's nuts. 
So you said you quit guitar and you didn't pick it up until you were in your 20s. Well, I mean, I never really started on guitar because I was so young and the guitar I had was so beat up that I instantly gave it up because it was too difficult physically. And I just kept singing and doing stuff. And then I didn't pick it up until I moved to Nashville. Um, and that's when I decided I'd been in bands for a few years by then and I wanted to be able to write my own songs and be able to be independent uh, by myself and my own foundation just in, you know because in the past when a core member of the band would leave and the band was done you know what I mean and I was like well I want to have my thing that I can write and be able to have no matter what who comes and goes it's mine it's kind of you know was it by that time was it your game plan that you wanted to start doing going to the music industry professionally? I never knew that I could do it professionally, even then. Um, it's just that I wanted to get back into singing and implement and, and uh, get back into more bluesy roots, rock and roll stuff. But I had never written songs at that point. So I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to be able to write songs. It was kind of like, I was going to open mic nights and like doing that kind of stuff. And I was 22, 23. So I way to move down to Nashville. I moved to Nashville because I got a degree in audio engineering and I felt a pressure to go and apply my skills in a job. And I got a couple of internships and eventually an assistant engineering gig. Um, it was during that point that I was also learning the guitar and writing my first few songs. It was during that time when I made the choice to not do audio engineering. It was this big life kind of choice that I wrote flow went down to the river and was having this stress and this pressure of, well, I've got this thing that I could follow career-wise that's a viable option that I'm good at, but I don't like it. I went to school for it and, you know, I got into it and I was jealous of the people doing the performing. I didn't want to be the one behind the glass twisting the knobs. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but my passion was in performance and in singing and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I was kind of stressed over that. Just starting the whole songwriting thing and learning guitar chords and like what went to what. And I went out to that river kind of to reflect and think about some stuff and then boom, flow came over. And it was after that that I really started focusing on building a record and thinking that I could actually do it for the first time. The third with Chat or with Flow. And end of twenty twelve you said you, you is when Chattel's released. Yeah. You so, self produced that? Yeah, yeah. I moved to Fayetteville, Arkansas in two thousand twelve, the very beginning, January first. Why why Arkansas one? I think music of, I don't think Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay, so I think you put Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Um my guitar player from my metal band back in the day was from Arkansas and I went and hung out there a couple times. And we were in Chicago before then, but I was like, I don't wanna, you know, I wanna move somewhere else and kinda start my own thing somewhere. Arkansas was center of the country, which was somewhat strategic. Um, I knew a few people there, like I said, I went down there and visited, and they seemed to have a very rootsy music community, an art community. The college was there. It was a cool downtown. It wasn't very expensive to live at all and be close to everything. That's important. So it just made sense <laughs> at the time. Like I was like, I could devote my full attention to that and not have to have this full-time job to support myself and you know pay for everything. Um, but yeah, that was it. It was, a, it was a, honestly, it was a, a random risk, leap of faith and we'll see what happens. And I tried it out. So, and I, yeah, so I self-produced the record in my bedroom of our first apartment we got there. I had uh, one microphone, uh, a little Apogee duet, two channels in, and uh, like a MacBook or something. And I had my friend who didn't know anything about recording. Yeah, it was in GarageBand. That's what, uh, Shadows was recorded on GarageBand. In my bedroom, a friend down the street would come over, uh, Baker, and he didn't know anything about recording. He would get stoned and come over and drunk, and he didn't, you know. And I would set everything up, and I'd be like, "All right, Baker, press space bar." <laughs> and then when I'm done, hit space bar again. <laughs> That's how we recorded shadows. How many times you fucked that up? Though? That's the question. Oh, many times. <laughs> there's, there's still no, to this day. Oh yeah, yeah. It's still to this day like there's. If you listen to the record in the background, you hear sirens going by and some song stuff, and we we're like, "Leave it in." It was just, it was very DIY. It was very off the cuff. And uh, 
Yeah, um, and then you know a lot of the layers on Shadows would be friends that I met around Fayetteville when I first moved there that played an instrument. I'd be like, "Hey, come and put a layer on this record." So the fiddle player that was on there, a few songs, the harmonica player, the gang vocals. Those are all like recent people that I had met in this community and I became friends with that eventually became the Shapeshifters. At that time, it was just layering my solo album with all this stuff. A lot of people associate Shadows and like Through the Valley and some of those songs as being like Shape shifter songs but it's not at that point it was just I was like a solo kick drum tambourine artist I had friends who came in and put layers on stuff did you remaster Shadows later on because I the first yeah. song I heard was Through the Valley uh-huh. on Pandora and you don't hear any of the background you know like you're saying sirens or no I mean well not on Through the Valley the stuff that's on Pandora is the same version that was uh, the, the original the only remaster of Shadows we did was for the new vinyl that we put out, actually. So all that's the same. And it's, you know, I think the, the sirens were on a uh, funny little feeling, if I'm not okay. mistaken, in the beginning. You can right. hear, or a train. A train was on I remember the train. Feeling. That one. Midnight Dove. They're sirens at the end. That's what it is. You have to listen closely, like when it picks that's up. What that is. Yeah, it's a siren. I've been trying so to that's what the, that was yeah, the whole time. So, yeah, there's little things. And there's stupid little tricks we would do on Shadows. <laughs> Me and Baker still argue about it because we can't remember who came up with the idea. It was on no rest. We wanted to give it like some oomph. And so I had this umbrella sitting in the corner <laughs> of the bedroom. And one of us came up with the idea, like right at the beat, to be like, and open it up and record it. <laughs> and like, so there's there's shit like that all over that That's record. That was very, that was just very, like I said, off the cuff and DIY. We didn't know how to make a record. I mean, I went to school for it and everything, but I never made my own. And we just wanted to have fun and, you know, put stuff together. So a lot of people really relate to that record. And there's like a magic about it that people say that I haven't captured. Sometimes people talk negatively, negatively about the, the later albums and I understand why because that album you can't recreate I was who I was then it was a DIY moment I didn't know any better there was some magical juju that was just a genuine thing in that moment and not that our other records don't compare you can't compare them they're just different beasts it's It's like like comparing yourself to who you were 10 years ago to who you are now you can't do that and if you were to go back and try to be that person it'd be fake you know so the shadows it was a once in a lifetime beautiful first record that I will always love nothing will ever compare to that because of what that was how do you go about then marketing once you have everything recorded because with that record in 2012 social media isn't the marketing titan that it is today yeah so I mean I Bandcamp was just getting like more like prevalent and so I I put it on Bandcamp and I, I started because I knew I was DIY and everything um i had a pay what you wanted scheme you know you can get on there and pay a dollar or pay nothing or pay 10 bucks and uh, that was my go-to then and I, I i did sites like noise trade which was you put the record up for free for exposure and people download it and could communicate so back then it was like i didn't i never thought people would listen to the record so i was doing anything i could to just get it out there and get people to listen to it that's how it started so marketing was very guerrilla online like whatever I could get like yes okay let's do it you know what I mean were you tracking the analytics from that no I was I mean yes a little bit with like Bandcamp but I was I was very naive and dumb when I put that out I was just excited I would get one download a week and I'd be like oh amazing you know like where's this person from like I'd, you know I'd email them or I'd send them a little sticker in the mail like it was very it was it was a different you know I, I was not savvy to anything about a lot of analytics or statistical strategic stuff well that's the beauty of starting though. exactly yeah. when, it, when, it, when it's just like it's purely organic you don't know what the fuck it's, you're doing and that's the magic you're, that was captured on yeah. that record from Shadows that from then on it's like it'll never be that naive again and because of that there's something special that right. gets captured it's that. the first Star Wars you know it's Star Wars A New Hope it's, yeah, you're making yeah, models yeah. and blowing them up with dynamite <laughs> <like that>, <laughs> and, and putting the umbrellas in yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. like CGI is never going to replace that no one yeah, producing yeah. is ever going to replace exactly. that yeah that's it man. You know? <clears throat> yeah. and like that's why like you know I I, I don't I don't judge myself and everything when it comes to like what that was or recreating it because I see records now as a timestamp of who I was then and where I was then. And every record to come, it's like, okay, that's another timestamp of me then and what 
genres I was wanting to create and implement into the music. And yeah, I, that I used to never want to release anything because I would just hear the mistakes. The way I got past that was when I started thinking of it like that. Well, of course you're going to be better in a year, but does that mean that you're not going to? If you're thinking that way, you're never going to release anything because you're always going to be getting better. So when you're writing a new song or a new album, I mean, what are you listening to or looking on for inspiration or is it just... It's all situational, man. You know, in the beginning, I think I needed to get a lot of uh, past ideas and pains or experiences from my childhood and my past out. Like I was still dealing with stuff and it was, you know, I was still a new songwriter. So it was a little bit, it was still fresh and new. So... Then it was more like letting it out, an emotional release. And it still is, but I think a little bit more about it now. And now I know what the music has done for some people, but it's it's all situational, you know. Sometimes it's an experience, sometimes it's a concept EP of me creating a character and an atmosphere and putting myself in the shoes of that character and thinking what they must have felt and what they would have said in the song. You know what I mean? So it's, it's all over the board. I can't say it's just one thing. There's no one process. In the beginning, it was very emotional and raw and like me dealing with stuff. And now it still is to a certain extent, but I feel like I'm a better songwriter and more savvy. And I know, I think about what point I want to get across now and I'm able to kind of sculpt that a little bit better than just like back in Shadows days, it was like what I had was what I got and that's what you're going to get because that's all I know. Now it's like, okay, I have that and now let's think about it and how do I want people to feel from this or what do I want to put a little bit of a hidden you know uh, meaning in there behind stuff just become more savvy you know do you worry do you listen to like your old music and do you worry well this sounds too much like this album at all or another artist for that matter no no um no I feel so no yeah <laughs> you got me you got my wheels rolling so I'm just repeating the same answer while I come up with what I'm looking to say um, hard reset I guess in the, in the more be- in the beginning I, I, I might have you know but um, I think your sound is so unique to you I mean especially your voice um, I think that's what separates it is the voice we have, I have a handful of friends that I've shown your stuff over time and you know different things friends of us who've been to old shows with you mm-hmm. um, that unfortunately could not be here tonight yeah uh, but they'll come to me like a week later and be like holy shit I came through this whole catalog of music that I didn't know because they'd hear just a snippet like you onto it because it's such a unique sound right and I think that's where like your older stuff had that raw ability to it. Where the right. newer stuff's a little more polished, but it's blatantly you. Yeah. I think that's that definitive feature. You have that that little key in that just makes it yours. Yeah, exactly. Like, no matter whether it's the beginning stuff, which is raw, or like you said, the polished stuff, it's still me. And if you, if when I, you know, I had a friend, for instance, with this new record, The Dark and the Light. I had a friend, and I have some people who say this, and I always do this now because it proves a point. I've learned how to do it. They were like, oh, man, I, you know, he came over, and I was like, I got this new record working on. And let me show you a couple songs. And I played it for him, and he was like, just not feeling it, man. I like your old stuff, Shadows. That's my shit. And I'm like, okay, I get it. I'm not hating on you for that. I understand what that's like. And then I go, oh, you know what? Let me play you some acoustic stuff real quick. And I played him the same two songs that I played him, <laughs> the, the the album version, but just me and a voice and acoustic. He's like, that's what I'm talking about that's my stuff and I'm like it's the same exact thing except it's not built up and I understand and that's you know that's kind of the reason why with this new record we're releasing a, an acoustic equivalent of the whole new record um just to because I can and why not give everybody the band version and the polished version and the stripped down acoustic I can do both you know so I say the stripped down is not polished I wouldn't say that by any means yeah no the stripped down it, you know it's very raw it's very it's very gritty and I like to keep that you know for that I get bored of doing the same thing though you gotta mix it up you know I don't wanna repeat myself over and over <laughs> repetition is safety and safety is no fun yeah, exactly exactly do you worry about or do you read the internet comments I do media and- I do I enjoy them <laughs> <laughs> You're my favorite welcome. my favorite has been uh, 
when who did that when I covered who did that to you from Django Unchained and John Legend it got posted on World Star Hip Hop some of the what? best comments I have ever <laughs> yeah, seen oh I was on the front page oh, World fuck. Star Hip Hop baby those comments were amazing <laughs> you do know like Mid said I'm gonna scream out World Star yeah, yeah. I've been looking like there's a fight going on <laughs> <laughs> there, I mean there might be we brought him <laughs> no tequila hey not so, until later so how do you pick what songs you're gonna cover because on the Madrid sessions I've heard yeah. Frank Sinatra Iron Maiden uh-huh. Bill Weathers and of course Macy Mary that you just book. recently did yeah. what made you choose those artists and the songs of course um, I like you know in the past I've liked covering really really classic artists um, that I just feel are legends and you know my whole thing about doing a cover is that I never want to do it in the same way as the original I feel like you're paying more respect by making it your own and taking it and twisting it, then I feel like if you're trying to cover a song by the person that you love and respect and you're doing it word for word the way they do it and you release it like that, you're kind of saying like, I can do it better than they can. That's completely wrong. You know what I mean? Like, there's no better, but it's also like, they created that, they are the one. So, I don't know, it's honestly, I have, I've been shocked myself the covers I choose. Uh, Bill Withers was in the pocket. That was just in my repertoire. I grew up listening to soul music and like changing the comp Sam Cooke and stuff like that. So those were natural and easy. But stuff like Frank Sinatra, I started covering that because a friend of mine died too early. Um, and I found out, and I was on the road, just driving. Uh, the boys were passed out in the back, and a friend called me, and we're three days out. I was expecting to see him, and he had helped us out. He was just a good guy. Uh, and I get a call while I'm driving, and he tells me he dies. And the first thing I did, I just didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't able to like process it at the time. So I'm driving, and I just cranked the radio because I didn't know what to do. And that song was playing, and I've heard it a thousand other times, but because because of that situation and because of the heavy emotion it allowed me to kind of release processes was happening and that's life just that whole chorus like it was just like fuck me I get that now because of this situation so that's how I chose that one 666 I chose that because there's a movie called Spun with a guy and, and in the movie there was a version of uh, 666 in a, in a very I wouldn't say similar but in an acoustic very relaxed cover and I heard that and I was like badass I could make it more intense I could do it in my own way and put an even more intense spin on it and that's how I started covering that I do a fishing trip northern Wisconsin three times a year and I'm the youngest guy there by 30 years easy Uh huh. they're all 80s 70s metal heads <laughs> beautiful I threw that on the jukebox they have an old school 1970s jukebox in yeah. the cabin and you could have heard a pin drop on the carpet <laughs> when you that started playing I'm like what the fuck is this and that was yeah. and that's a set well that's the song you sent me to get you to go to your first show in Minneapolis yeah. at the turf club like yeah. are we getting that tonight yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah so I mean when I, I choose the fix. cover it's like it's a cool idea and everything but I have to be inspired by it I might think it's a cool idea but I have to sit in a room and play it and feel something from it that I feel like is me and yet a good representation of what they were and you know it's I'm planning on doing a couple new covers next the Macy Gray one was random Grammys asked me to do something which I thought was a bullshit email when I got it I was like no fucking way I I saw it on my phone I was like what and over there we were at your show in LA and we were impressed by what you do and we're doing this video series I want you to choose a cover they sent me like 100 to 200 songs it had to be a Grammy nominated song and I chose When a Man Loves a Woman by Percy Sledge which I loved and I crushed it and um, I practiced it for a week and a half and then they told me no you can't do it but I told I guess there was some publishing rights, percentages, stuff, I don't know. And uh, so I was looking through and I couldn't figure it out. And the producer of the album was like, you should try this Macy Grace song. I was like, man, I don't know, too poppy. And uh, I tried it again and he was like, man, I think you would really crush this. Just maybe spend the night with it. 
go home and just play a little bit. I played it at home once. And I was like, nah. And then I got stoned. <laughs> and then I kind of overanalyzed everything, which I have a tendency of doing when I do. And realized, although it's a pop song, the lyrics are very dark and sad and actually kind of very real. It's about addiction. It's about love. It could be about a lot of things that are heavy. And then that kind of shifted it for me into uh, playing it the way I do, into the heaviness of the way I do it. So... I don't know, man. I just have to find that. In, I have to. It might be a cool idea, but until I find in the performance of it by myself, latching onto it, then I'm not gonna do it. I saw Macy Gray gave you props. No fucking joke, man. Yes, it was crazy. Do a lot of artists do that when no. they hear your cover? <laughs> <laughs> Frank's been not at all. Yeah. yeah, no, no. I think Frank rolled over in his grave or something. <laughs> no, but no, no. That was the first time something like that's happened. So that was a really cool little experience. You know. So between recording and 200 shows a year. How do you find time and what do you do when you have time off just to relax? Um, you know, when I have time off, uh, I either stay with friends and family or like rent a furnished Airbnb or, you know, something like that. Now that I'm getting older, we're definitely leaning towards having a, a nest again, someplace to come back to. But I just try to, you know, in the winter is when I write a lot, actually, because we're not touring as much. So, you know, I don't write on the road very much unless it's like an inspirational thing because I'm so focused on the lifestyle. Get up, drive, get to the venue, sound check. Then it's just a repeat, go and process, process, process. And so because I'm not writing, I have this built up want and need by the time, because we don't tour in the winter, touring in the winter sucks. So I normally write in the winter, and um, I go to movies, I read, I work out, I kind of make up for the stuff that I don't get to do on a daily basis. I play video games. Sometimes it's so nice to, like, binge a video game and just be a piece of shit in front of a TV for, like, two weeks. You know, stuff like that. Like, I catch up on things and just live, you know, without the pressure of... Uh, the heavy traveling lifestyle and the heavy day to day that, that the touring life is. So, were you married before you started touring and with Shadows? Yeah. Was it a tough sell to Michelle that, hey, no, I want to take this around? So, I wasn't married, but I've been with her since I was uh, 16. She was 15. And I, you know, she knew that I, that if she had held me back from any of this, that we wouldn't be together because it was who I was. So it's partially because of her being so open. You know, we uh, we aren't we weren't the people that we at our core we were, but we are totally different people than we were when we first met and everything. We allowed each other the space to grow and develop individually while also being a unit, which is crucial. But no, she was cool with it, man. She knew that this is who I was, and if she truly loved me, that she couldn't dictate me going on the road or not going on the road or like you know putting a fucking leash on me or something you know like she knew that so props to her for you know making it work so how do you go about setting up your tours do you hire a management company or person in the beginning I did everything myself um, and I think that's the way that any independent artist should do it if you're right off the bat if you haven't toured regionally or done anything on your own why would anybody be interested in working with you if they're just if they're not trying to take advantage of you what what can you offer if someone wants to work with you when you haven't toured before and there's no proof of what you've done it's just like red alert red alert in my mind because most of the time this industry works off of percentages off a piece of the whole so if you're not doing anything that's making money and to the point then you need to do it more DIY till it gets there that's my view so in the beginning the first three years I booked all my tours I did all the uh, all the uh, promotion I did all the everything and then slowly I got a booking agent which enabled me to focus more on the writing and the stuff and helped me not to have to do emails all the time and all this stuff and it just slowly evolved to then I hired a PR person for more promotional stuff Management. I just recently started working with and a label, an independent label. I just started working with, and I like this setup because it's a lot of people have that idea of like getting signed. You've made it. No, screw that. <laughs> no. Anytime that you're doing what with the bigger labels, and if you don't have any leverage, they're gonna screw you. So for me, I like this independent label because it feels like me doing a DIY, but with four more me's to work with, like a team. 
So that's where I'm at now. And I didn't realize that about the industry. I was just listening to a podcast with Black Keys, and they were saying uh, Warner Brothers. They don't like an album that was taken Shelvin. Yeah. Never released. Yeah, and then you're not, and then you can't release it on your own, and you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Was it? John Fogarty back in the 70s the record label tried to sue him for copywriting himself I believe that's why Prince was an artist formerly known as Prince the only reason he did that is because that got him out of his contract and able to release records under that name instead of Prince there's a lot of weird stuff with the record labels that do that and you know do I want to eventually someday work with a major? Sure. But under the right terms. And the only way you get to being able to negotiate those right terms is by having leverage and building something on your own and coming to the table with something that's solid. So what should an artist, what can they prepare to bring to the table in order to have some bargaining leverage? Uh, hard work. Um, and building a foundation on your own like tour on your own DIY can you tour the whole US and have 50 people minimum at every show no well maybe you need to do a little bit more work before you think about adding a manager and adding all these things you know maybe you need to find a way to be creative and to expose yourself in terms of maybe viral stuff online that exposes you or like do it I think that people jump the gun with thinking that oh if I get this piece of the puzzle then I'll get to the next level like earn it do your work like you know have a sore back sleep on couches like do the work to get there and don't don't think that you know this instant gratification thing it took me seven years to get to where I am now and it's only now starting to be to be visibly noticed noticeable and have people come out to the shows and you know so it's, it takes time you have to put in the work and earn it don't try to get the easy way out you know like that's that's all I can say because then it's real and you can if you do that then you always have something to fall back on you're not relying on something that you haven't created or the idea of something you know what I mean so when you when you were setting up your first tour DIY were you just googling a city looking for venues and yeah I mean how do you how do you uh, vet them out from there yeah so nowadays there's a lot more um tools and amenities for independent artists than I had back then there's uh, I think it's called Van Van or there's like some sites that are, have reviews from other artists that have played there. You can, through this site, request to play the venue. Mainly, you know, you have to, my biggest thing is you have to show them a little bit of what you're bringing to get booked. So do a video. Show them what they're going to get. Show them what to expect. Do some photos, you know. Uh, have a good bio. Like, give them a little inkling of what they can expect and if they would even be interested in booking you. Because if you're just hitting them up with nothing online, then they're just shooting in the dark and why would they want to book you over words? You know what I mean? You have to, like... Yeah. I mean, are there any venues that you've played that you're like, I'm never coming back here again for whatever reason? <laughs> yeah, there's one in Eagle, Colorado. Oh, man. Good that she said... I don't remember the name of the venue. It was in Eagle, Colorado. It was my first, it was my first tour. It, I actually don't. Uh, but it was my first tour ever, and me and Baker were touring, and we set up, and we get in there, and I think that they thought that we were... Uh, this country commercial country thing and we get there and we look like we do all tatted up with a banjo and me and we're playing and the owner came up to us within 30 minutes of us playing we're supposed to play three hours and said hey we're just going to ask you to stop and we're getting complaints about you and your music and it was just like it was the first time I'd ever experienced that level of like kind of just rudeness and just it just it's, it was like a slap in the face, and I'll never forget that. So I'm never playing there again, but honestly, mostly, you gotta play those places, and I'm not ashamed of playing anywhere because you gotta earn your stripes. And that's what I'm saying, like, put in the work, earn, pay your dues. You shouldn't, you shouldn't jump up to playing 500 venues a night from nothing when you haven't paid your dues and done your push-ups. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of people that are getting started right now 
expect to just jump up and be there because of instant gratification and because of Instagram and Facebook and viral videos but like that's not real that's yeah. the flip on the industry now as it used to be I mean even obviously you know almost seven years ago and you changed even then was like it used to be I had to play so many live shows before you get even anywhere near being able to put a record and now it's like oh ten records before you can potentially get a show yeah it's such a flip it's a it's you know it's it's good and bad I think it's kind of cool because you have, I guess, MySpace ever is kind of more where the music in it will be. Pop rap has gone to, but you got SoundCloud. There's been some good artists that have come out of that, but how much trash has also come out of Yeah, well, that's the point is like the the bar has been lowered because with with home studios and everybody being able to record on their phones or computers or whatever, there's more garbage getting through, but I think that it also makes the good stuff stand out as well. So I've heard like pros and cons of both, but you know, in the end, it's always been kind of the same thing and the good stuff always rises to the top and... Prove your worth. Like shooting photos. I mean, everyone's got an iPhone in their fucking pocket. <clears throat> yeah, right. it, it, yeah. Just because you can take a lot of photos, I mean, it's good. Yeah. Um, what's been your favorite city or venue to, to play today? One of my favorite cities. I mean, besides Chicago, just because it's cool going back to hometown and seeing it grow, is Denver. Denver has been supportive since day one. And we played in a little DIY place the first time called Seven Circle Music Collective. And from there, it's grown and just kept moving forward. And I guess it's, uh, they've been there, like I said, from the very beginning. So because of that, there's like a, have a connection to it. It's special. But there's a lot of cities, man. Fayetteville. Fayetteville, where I first started releasing music, has always been supported. and incredible. Now we're getting to the point where most major markets and most major cities are really good shows for us. So it's I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, uh, those are some of the most nostalgic, though. Chicago, Denver, Fayetteville, because I have some kind of different connection than just going to a city and playing there. If you ever play House of Blues in Chicago, let us know. We'll, we'll drive down for that. Cool. We yeah. joked about coming to Ireland when you were over there. Look out the crowd, there's us assholes. I would love Shit. that. I love that. Dublin's one of my favorite places. I saw uh, Ahmad Jamal. Um, I can't remember. He's the piano player for Charlie Parker. Okay. I got to see him down at the House of Blues in Chicago. And it's just like, was it phenomenal? Yeah. I gotta admit, I've never been there. It was it was a blast. I was junior senior in high school, so I, I appreciate it more now. At the time, it's like I gotta go watch a stupid jazz show. <laughs> yeah, that's like son of a bitch. But so you just released the new album, Dark, The Dark and the Light. Yeah. It, what has the process of writing and producing an album become easier for you over the years? You mentioned you're working with a label. I think um, the process of writing has become. I'm just. I know how to say what I want to say better and to get my point across better than ever before. In the beginning, it was just, like I said, this is what I got and kind of just like musical and word vomit because it was just all I had and I didn't. And now I know how to structure what I want to say, how to say it in the least amount of words or how to get the emotional cross that I want to do because I've been doing it for a little bit longer now. So it's easier than ever before, but also harder because I hold myself to a different standard now, you know? Um, but working with a producer this last record was the first time ever and I, I never wanted to because of my idea of what a producer was and he opened my mind to what it could be and that it can be it can shift for your needs and what you want you know and uh, with him he the thing that he brought more to the table that I loved was some perspective insight and examination of what I do without judging it, but just saying, what you're doing, you're obviously doing it right and well, but how about you look at it from this perspective and maybe we can make it raise up to a whole other level without compromising what you already have and the genuineness and realness. We can reach more people and do more without compromising that, which is was a huge uh, learning thing for me with this last year. Was it hard for you to kind of put put yourself out there for that in the beginning? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I didn't want to. I was very um, stubborn and against it at first. And then the first meeting we had, he really... I was very... Uh, strategically quiet in the first meeting because so many producers and so many people in the industry will latch on and pick up on what you want and then give you the answers that you want to hear just to get you to work with them and I brought my wife with me and I was like alright I want you not to say anything and just listen because you know me and you know what I would like what I feel comfortable with and at the end tell me what you think and so I, I what I ended up doing in that first meeting was asking very broad open-ended questions to feel him out to see what his response to what he would do with me would be and not tell him what I wanted and everything he said was like right in the pocket it was just a beautiful thing and that's kind of what made me feel good after the meeting it was a 30 minute meeting and we left and I was like I don't even need to hear what you need to say I was talking to Michelle and I was like that's the guy making the next one because <laughs> it was just a feeling thing you know you know when it's right trust your gut did you have producers or record labels reach out to you before that yeah you didn't feel like they were the right person no they I could just sense that they were there to they, make a buck yeah and it just didn't feel honest didn't feel real it felt slimy and it felt shady and it felt icky and when it feels like that then there's a reason you, know, you don't ignore those feelings I, the other thing was I got some of the best advice from an A&R rep from one of the big three labels met me in South by Southwest like five years ago he was interested and after talking with me for like 20 minutes he was like I'm not supposed to do this but you know he gave me some of the best advice that had to do with the leverage he's like you need to do your own thing for a while you need to make your records you need to do what you do and you need to not work with a major until you feel comfortable and they're willing to meet you in the middle and they're not going to do that for you at this point in your career because you have nothing for you to take build your stuff get it to where they just want to be on your ship while also combining and then you'll be able to dictate and negotiate better terms and do stuff so yeah I had other I had other major label interests but it just when I thought about it with that strategic mindset, it was like, where, why do you want to? I have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, just think about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> how do you, if you're on the road so much and you're writing songs in your off time, how do you manage to sit down and actually get the studio to record? I mean, do you have that planned out ahead? I don't go into the studio until the songs are written. Some artists like to go in before their songs are written and craft them in the studio. I don't. I think that when you do that, you can, not, not for everybody, for me, you can feel a little ingenuine and like I'm crafting this thing in a science lab. Do you know what I mean? I like to write my songs in solitude, away from anybody, without any thought that anybody's listening to me while I'm doing it. I like to feel it. I like to, you know, have a feeling of emotion. And and again, like solitude is key for me in writing because I'm not thinking about anything but the song and how I feel about it. If I feel great about it, then I can bring it to a studio and then develop it. I don't like to go in with no foundation because it just feels wrong. You know what I mean? At what point do you start to compile those songs into an album? And do you ever take, the song doesn't really feel right for this one, you shelve it and bring it back yes, later? Yes, absolutely. Pendulum Swing was written during Shadows. And I hated Pendulum Swing at first because uh, it felt cheesy to me. It felt too uplifting and too self-help book type vibe. But it was honest. And I played it for a friend at the festival and they adamant that like what the hell are you doing now releasing that song so I started playing it live and other people started saying stuff and that's what made me slowly you know be able but yeah that happens some things some records are one vibe I might write a song that's another vibe it doesn't mean that it's not right it's just maybe not the time for it it's like Love Will Find A Way I've been working on for 10 years before I released that one and that was more of an emotional baggage situation but I tried and tried and tried to finish it and it just it felt forced always I didn't have the answer so yeah I don't know where I was going with that <laughs> well listening to Shadows going into the gospel according to Sean James the new album The Dark and the Light 
your vocal style is so widely different. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I really like your music. Did you develop that over time, or was that just what happened to come out naturally for that album? Um, it did happen over time, and it did happen naturally, and it was affected a lot. I think in the beginning of Shadows, my vocal capability, again, even with the songwriting, was this is what I have, and I'm just going to do it this way. When I listen to Shadows now, I hear a record that is very vocally one track, a very the same type of vocal over and over. And through me singing and touring and getting older, my voice has dropped. I don't sing the same exact way as I did on Shadows. I listen to my voice there and I'm like, whoa, dude, you're like in a whole nother range than you used to be. But that's the natural progression of where I'm at now. And why the Shapeshifters came into being is because we started touring in 2013 and a lot of the tours we would do DIY were in bars. And we're playing this emotional, heavy music for people that just want to drink beer and like, and it just didn't make sense. And then we would play in house shows and it'd be phenomenal. And that taught me that certain music requires a certain certain atmosphere for it to really come off and we did the shapeshifters because we wanted to do something more rowdy and more energetic because of the places we're playing the atmosphere so it's all affected by the situation and the experiences from touring and everything else and the shapeshifters were birthed because I knew that my acoustic stuff was not this heavy thing and the heavy thing wasn't the acoustic stuff and they were two very different worlds although they could kind of go together you know um, yeah it's a, a little bit of everything you know it's natural progression and also me overthinking things and choosing a, a path and, I think the new record, though, in my opinion, is the first record that really blends together a little bit of everything that I've done. And I feel comfortable kind of, like, here's my palette of, you know, like Shadows was this folk singer-songwriter record. Deliverance was too. On the Shores of Giants was my ode to old blues greats. Shapeshifters was like Stoner, Doom, Rival Sons meets Led Zeppelin meets Lemmy, Motorhead, like that's my heavier record. And then, you know, like it was very specific. This one I feel like there's a little bit of a combination of everything. And it was the first time that I felt comfortable doing it. Was that plan going in? You listened to your first single, Orpheus. Yeah. And you got this Earth, Wind, and Fire meets Chicago meets uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And then you move into Burn the Witch. Uh, yeah, Burn the Witch. And it's much softer, a cooler style, you know, that kind of... It was planned, you know? I, I wanted to show... I didn't want to do an album that was just a blues album or a singer-songwriter. I wanted to do and combine everything and show what I could do and do it song by song and not like, this record is this. I wanted it to be song by song and a collection of songs, and that's what The Dark and Light is. Yeah. Yeah. What's been your favorite song to perform live so far off the new album? Curse the Fold. There's an intensity about it. Um, and I just, I mean, I enjoy them all, to be honest, for different reasons, but that one just feels uh, a lot of fun and it's it's got a lot of different aspects I love in the performance live. Yeah. Out of every song that you've written or covered, what's been your favorite to date? That's a heavy question. <laughs> Through the Valley has been, you know, great because I never expected that song to be what it is. Which just got uh, released on The Last of Us. Yeah, The Last of Us 2, the trailer of it, yeah. Um, And it blew it, and I never, that was like one of the most depressing dark songs I've ever written in my life. I thought it was always going to stay in the background. To have that song be what it is now and to perform that every night and to feel people relating to it a song that I thought only I would relate to it was a very personal thing that's a crazy feeling you know like flow you know hearing people's stories of how it affected them it's really the ones that people I can feel that people are feeling that make it fun to play live because I can see it I can feel it I never thought I'd be able to do that Music did that for me back in the day and got me through stuff. But I never thought a song that I created could do that for somebody else. So those songs tend to be the ones I like the most. But then again, playing Hunger from the Shapeshifters and just ripping it apart is sometimes the most awesome thing in the world. Your people need to reach out to Marvel and have that put over Punisher Fight Scene. 
Done. Perfect. I'm into it. <laughs> Looking back on your entire career, if you had a magic wand, is there anything that you'd go back and change? Myself in the beginning. I think uh, in the beginning I used to be overstressed, over perfectionist, and not very kind to myself, and maybe not as kind as some of the musicians I played with in the very beginning because I had this idea. And, you know, it's been a learning curve. I've been wrong in the past, and I've been right in the past, but really it's. I wish I would have made myself more savvy and able to uh, be able yeah. to um, just be just be more mature, but that's impossible. So I had to go through those things and experiences to be where I'm at now. But no, because it's made me who I am now. So the mistakes, the good, the bad, I'll, I'll take it all. That's how it should be. And if there's anyone listening that's trying to break out into the industry as a musician, maybe they're trying to do something more on behind the scenes, is there any advice that you'd give to, give to them? Um, mean what you say and say what you mean. The greatest thing that I look for is if I believe and if I trust what the performer is doing and saying, and if I think that they're genuine. So that's the, the first and foremost. If you're honest and real and you mean what you say, don't give up, keep going, and you will find a way to make that happen. That's one of my biggest songs out there. And of course, where can people find your music? Everywhere. Uh, where streaming, downloading ours is, but you can get all the links from the website www.seanjamesmusic.com. It'll point you in every direction you might want to go. Awesome. Appreciate you sitting down with us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you, man. Appreciate it. I'm sorry the room might not have been. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to episode 38. Uh, please make sure to follow the show on Twitch where you can tune into the show and join the conversations live. Just head over to twitch.tv slash rules of the arena. You can find this episode and all others on blindninjastudios.com slash ROA. Also available for download and streaming on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and CastBox. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel where you can watch live recordings of previous episodes. Don't forget to check out my new show called No Story Left Behind, a podcast featuring military veterans about talking about their careers while serving in the armed forces. If you'd like to support the shows, there's a couple ways you can help out. Please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You can also support the show directly by going to patreon.com slash rules of the arena podcast. I have a couple ways you can help out there. If you'd like to get a hold of me directly for any comments, concerns, or would like to be a guest on the show, please shoot me an email to roapodcastinfo at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we will catch you all next time. And here is another single off Sean's new album, The Dark and the Light, called Orpheus. Enjoy. Oh, my heart had been leaking since the day that I first laid eyes upon you. I knew you were the one. Since that day, I had never been the same. No one ever could turn me away. Our love had just begun. Oh, we left you hoping love your heart to me. Through the game